Hey everyone, thanks for listening. The art of co-creation has emerged as a pivotal strategy for fostering innovation. By engaging customers, employees, and even artificial intelligence in the ideation process, organizations can transcend traditional boundaries and unlock new avenues for growth. A survey found that 81% of consumers said that brands that collaborate with their customers are more authentic. 86% said brands that co-create are more trustworthy, and 79% felt that involvement in a brand's online community would make them feel more involved with that brand. In this episode, we are joined by Katrin Zimmerman, Managing Director of TLGG Consulting, to discuss the process of co-creation and how organizations benefit from an open innovation model. I'm excited to announce my new companion book, Customer Transformation for Nonprofits, based on my best-selling seven-stage framework. This book adapts proven strategies to the unique challenges of nonprofit organizations, guiding you in building deeper connections with stakeholders. It's packed with real-world case studies from leading nonprofits like the Red Cross, the Salvation Army, the International Game Developers Association, Charity Water, and more, providing actionable insights for digital engagement and stakeholder loyalty. For anyone in the nonprofit sector, this book is an invaluable tool for fostering growth, innovation, and enduring relationships. And of course, to support the show, visit chrishood.com slash show. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, follow us on social media, or you can email me directly, show at chrishood.com. I'm Chris Hood, and let's get connected. Connecting. granted it's the chris hood digital show where global business and technology leaders meet to discuss strategy innovation and digital acceleration five four three two one your digital evolution starts now here's your host chris hood Welcome to the show, Katrin. Would you mind introducing yourself? Thank you so much for having me, Chris. I'm Katrin Zimmerman. I am running TLGG's US um, and North America office out of New York. We are part of the Omnicom Group, so have a good understanding of um, the changes that the world in marketing and product and product innovation um, run through. And uh, at TLGG in particular, we're working with clients around the subject of digital and AI transformation. So servicing in the fields of what is happening, we call it mostly at the beginning of the S-curve when something new is coming to the market and how then do you deploy it from a portfolio, from a product and service, from a total experience design and a process perspective. I love this because we're going to get into a lot of the areas that I'm very passionate about. We talk about innovation and strategy, marketing, looking at the future, trying to predict trends. But one of the areas that you spend a lot of time in is co-creation. Now, we had a little conversation just before we started recording about what actually is the definition of co-creation. But let's start with you. You tell me what your view of co-creation is, and let's get into it. In, in my opinion, co-creation is um, ideally some, some discipline where people from, from different perspectives um, on a subject come together to co-create something new. And that is particularly relevant in 
innovation at all times. But also in the last couple of years, as we've, as we've been moving into more customer-centric marketing, has been a practice um, in the field of marketing as well. So co collaborating or co-creating, for example, either with synthetic customer data or with customer data, um, real customer data, um, has become a significant practice. And um, in that field, it then becomes almost like a change of perspective oftentimes when you, um, when you do not think a product first logic, but rather a customer first logic. So that is um, a practice that I think has become more and more common in the marketing field um, and is also very common in the innovation field. And then I would add to that co-creation aspect that is more um, a general um, um, definition, the perspective of where my field or my learnings in collaboration has also been in the past a lot is around the subject of bringing different stakeholders um, and maturity models in markets together. Meaning um, when I was leading the Lufthansa innovation of business innovation practice, we were bringing in startups and corporates together to co-create new solutions that might be fitting. So we've been extending the perspective of what co-creation might mean a little further in that context of innovation. So I think we are amazingly aligned in that definition. I recently wrote a book called Customer Transformation. I spend one entire chapter talking about this subject. And what I really like about how you broke this down is there are elements of co-creation that can be internal, internal to the organization itself, as well as co-creation activities that are definitely external where you are bringing in consumers to participate in what do you want? What do you need? What problems do you have? How can we solve those together? Now, this is an area that a lot of organizations struggle with. They tend to want to come up with all of the ideas on their own. Even if we say, look, here's what the data is telling us. We've gotten feedback. The interpretation of that data is still internally based, which creates a lack of true innovation for a customer. I, I would agree. And I think um, I learned that for myself on, on a project where I was anticipating certain things to be true about the product that we brought into the market. And I learned very quickly and very early on that all of my anticipation was super subjective from my perspective of the world. And the data proved me wrong, luckily very early. So we were able to kind of move into the right directions of what a broader amount of people would be interested in. And so I'm, I would say that in that context of co-creation, people ideally have this learning of humbling their own opinion and subjectivity. Oftentimes, that is something that you take away quickly and learn then how to better access data from a qualitative and a quantitative perspective and integrate that in the process of any type of co-creation that you are executing on. So that I would totally agree with you, which is oftentimes then the challenge that organizations have because we're doing this wonderful product and we think it's, it's the best thing in the world. And oftentimes, for no particular reason, there are small aspects that might be missing or might be too much in a product that we don't realize and that we only learn if we can take our subjectivity out of the picture and bring more objectivity data to the process to actually understand how are people interacting. So it's a, it's a, it's an activity of adding and subtracting oftentimes out of the things that we subjectively might like, but objectively are not as reflected positively as we anticipate. 
there's often arguments that we get too close to something, you know, especially internally. We see a lot of entrepreneurs in this place where it's their brainchild. It's they're passionate about it. They believe in it. They know that this is what consumers want without actually asking the consumers if they want it or not. But we often will find departments or teams where we say, look, we need an outside opinion. And yet we still tend to focus so much on that perspective internally. Now, the other side of this, which is interesting because I I will always get this argument and they'll relate back to the old Henry Ford comment. You know, if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said they wanted faster horses. Now, my particular perspective of that is that Henry Ford provided them with faster horses. That's why we call it horsepower, right? There's an interesting intersection here between being too close to what you're working on, needing that external opinion, and yet getting the external opinion and adapting it to the innovation. I I think it's a fantastic example and one uh, quote that I often use as well. I think there's um, a very strong argument to to be made to um, involve customers in the process. I think it's it's um, more about how do I involve them and do I ask them direct questions that are kind of indicative of where I would like people to answer or do I use other methodologies such as observation, such as data collection of how people are actually interacting with things. I think that is one perspective of innovation. So it's really how am I integrating into the um, into the collaboration process and what are the aspects that I'm trying to distill. So that's a skill set in itself and a way of ideally removing the subjectivity that you have as someone who might be working on a product for a very long time and really, you know, have put so much sweat and tears into that you want it to be successful. So that's the one hand side. And then on the other hand side, I also do believe that through the perspective of different angles, you actually come to something new, ideally, that is not necessarily the answer, okay, these are faster horses, right? You diversify the input, ideally in certain ways, from a multitude of perspectives that can be people with different backgrounds, et cetera, et cetera, that you actually bring innovation to the table. So I would answer it from from these both components to, to bring that to life. You bring up a good point. You know, in law, we call it leading the witness. I can ask you any question I want to get the response that I want out of you. But in order for us to really begin to remove those biases, we have to look at raw data, whether, again, there's any number of types of data that you can bring in. But if we're ignoring that data, then we run into the risk of wasting people's time, energy and resources in the process. Absolutely. And I think it's it's looking into the data and then really distilling to the inside that the data in, in its collection provides to you, right? It's not only looking at the data and saying, okay, that's the answer, but kind of taking it to the next lev- level as an inside generation and acting then upon that. I think that is key in the innovation field as much as it is in, for example, marketing tactics and others. That's, I think, where they're just copying and making faster horses to building a new type of horsepower differentiator comes in. Earlier, you were talking about including customers in the process, and you talked about those could be artificial consumers. What was interesting is about 
I would say maybe six years ago, I was having a conversation with somebody and the thought process was starting a business that was nothing but fabricated consumer data. I think as we start to look over the course of the last six years and definitely over the course of the last six months, the introduction of artificial intelligence that can be used or leveraged in a way to generate consumer response is an interesting approach, but I still feel as if there's a way to leverage AI in this co-creation process. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we are, I think we are at the cusp of looking into, um, and there are some experiments um, that one can find in, in what happens when we have, or when we enable an AI for synthetic customer research, um, I recently um, had a read a publication around the subject of a simulation um, in a in a city analogy where people um, synthetic citizens moved in, and then obviously the researchers looked into how would the AI behave and how do different input drivers from the outside then change behavior. And I think that is a little bit more of a future scenario as we're starting research in that or in that field. But a good example I would say is, for example. Netflix or any of the streaming services have a very good understanding of individual cohorts, their behavior, and we all see a very personalized Netflix experience on our screen, depending on our interaction, the length of view, what we've been viewing, and what other people in our cohort of, of target audience have been doing. So it's a very personalized way. One could also say we see that a lot in media, in our social media aspects, so we're moving more and more in that direction where what is in our industry we would call it next best message, next best action, the prediction of data of what you might be doing next in order to either feed you the right message, feed you the right article, do the right thing is, is something that we're exploring. Obviously, that's quite different around the globe in terms of data protection laws, but in the US for sure, that is that is right now the golden or the state of art Um of execution. And it's quite an interesting and still complex subject to fully, fully um, deliver upon. Yeah, Netflix is so good at personalization that when I actually want to watch something that's not something that I typically would watch, I can't find it. Like I have to actually go and do a search like I know you have this movie, where is it? That's why you need different logins to actually sometimes see surprising new acts. Or maybe they should, you know, look into what's an innovation component for if this is your and my problem, we're probably not the only ones. If this is a user problem, what's the serendipity mode on Netflix? Watch something surprising that you didn't anticipate, which I think is an era we go in a little bit as we all see the same things in our Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and Snapchat feeds. We are more interested in surprising information every once in a while, because I believe every trend has an anti-trend. So we'll we'll see the pendulum swing a little bit. Going back to the concepts of AI, the flip side of AI is the human element that you were alluding to in, in the city example. And when we think about innovation, I often think about design principles like design thinking or other ideation processes that focus very heavily on the human connection or customer empathy. And I think that's an area that AI is still not quite there yet, but I think there's a balance. There's some balance where we can 
still talk about empathy, but analyze it through AI to get maybe richer results? I mean, there is actually quite some research around this the subject, particularly um, in the healthcare field, for example. Um, I think there was a test done around nurses um, and nursing behavior with patients and then suggestions of AI and where the feedback from the patients was that the AI was more compassionate than the, than the nurses were. The point of the nurses, and that's where the human factors come in, the AI doesn't understand always the full context of that, of that individual, uh, the reality of maybe the hospital at that moment or the care home. Uh, the reality of the nurse, um, the speedy moment. So these components of not being integrated, because I think it it is a technology. It is something that we program in certain ways to be given whatever data we might feed it. And so it might behave overly compassionate. I, for example, am extremely annoyed oftentimes with the voice AIs that I'm using that then repeat my questions or kind of make it confirm confirmative towards me. And I'm like, I know what I just asked you, and also you don't need to tell me that it's a good question. So I think what we are at the stage where, where um, when we're developing these, you know, large language models to come back as ideally natural human language, we're still trying to bring a lot of empathy and compassion into it. It's just the context setting: Are we there yet? Is that the right way of doing it? And what does it mean? I think that's one component, and the other one that I'm skeptical about, let's say, um, or what makes me question, should we strive for human-like empathy in technology? Because how do we differentiate? And you see a lot of anger and uh, anxiety of people interacting um, with technology in certain ways. And because they are not human, we then also lower our way of interaction oftentimes. I think what um, the internet in general and social media has kind of showed is the more anonymity comes into play, the less kind of ethical and moral behavior we oftentimes find in, in humans, in groups, but also in individuals. And so I'm, I'm a little bit considering or thinking about how might we um, as society think about as we're having almost this third kind of solution in customer interaction and brand interaction come to the table. Do we need to or do we want to give it um, the brand name or do we want to almost develop a third category of where that lives in? Right now you see a lot of innovation come into the market, whether that's smart robots or some type of artificial intelligence being given human names. And I'm wondering what does that do with us in the second order effect of you and I interacting as humans as we give machines human names? Um, so more thinking about that, there's a very interesting new field called digital anthropology looking at how are individuals and communities acting online and how is the human-machine interface being co-created in the end by humans today. So I'm just having an eye on that to see where are things going and should we be a little bit careful in just anticipating technology um, through a very human lens and giving it human names and pretending it is a human. How much of that do you think is the technology converging into our lives versus our lives wanting to disconnect from other humans? I very much agree with you. I mean, I've worked in the airline industry for many years. And when we 
um, went into the era of self-services, which is in the end, um, that's, that's what we call it. Um, it creates a lot of utility for a lot of people, right? It's most likely more efficient. It's much faster. It's very strict in standards. Like we don't cut edges at, as much anymore, where maybe in past days, two or three kilograms more in a suitcase would be waved off by a human being. The technology would always say, please go pay extra. So there's, there's pros and cons, I would say, in, in that logic. And I think we are at a time where we are starting to balance that out for where do we want it, where do we see it, and where is then also the human factor a component that makes the difference in a customer experience, et cetera, et cetera, right? So when we collaborate with clients, we're always emphasizing the aspect of intentional technology integration into touch points and processes, and also understanding where might a human interaction make a difference in you know, stickiness, loyalty, joy, like what are the things that I as a company want to provide um, to, to my customers and how do I stand out? In the end, technology might just be creating more red oceans of interaction. And I don't think that that's where we want to be, right? Brands that stand out in the marketplace are the ones that have intentional differences in their customer interaction. Absolutely. There's so many organizations out there that don't understand what their consumers want. So they're investing in technologies that they don't even know if their consumers want to engage with. So the intention that you are speaking about is critical across every decision. In, in my opinion, I again, I wrote another chapter in my book that talks about your technology decisions have to be aligned with a customer value proposition. If you have no customer value proposition that directly associates with that technology decision, then you're wasting money. And that's really what you're talking about. Oh, absolutely. And I think in the last maybe 10, almost 15 years, you know, we have all been learning the aspect of data is the new gold. So everyone is trying to amass and amass and amass. Um, I think we are getting to an age where we're also learning maybe it's it's that, yes, but be more intentional about it. Not only what you amass in data, but also how do you use it? How do you protect it? How do you create that relationship of trust? I always feel like looking at my little supercomputer in my hand, um, how, for example, Apple or others are doing it in that space, going very much into data protection mode, um, secluding that more. I'm walking in, in that direction, I'm anticipating a high intention of that because we are. it's becoming more and more common knowledge of what is all collected about us, how is it being used. Um, sometimes even AI is put in a very negative context within that because it's like using, using us as, um, as examples of human creators to then replace our job. So we have to, we're at this cusp of being ideally careful on, what, how, and when, and why in particular, I agree with you, we are doing as organizations and what does it do? And oftentimes it's an efficiency play and that is, I guess, fair. I think we have to look at what is the second and third order effect of, of the efficiency that we're creating in customer interaction and in employee interaction even um, that then needs to be anticipated ideally. And I feel in the first wave of digital, digitalization with social media and others, We've not been so clear on what's the second order effect, that dopamine hit that we get every time we swipe. What does it do to humans? 
do we actually like that aspect of addiction? And is that something that we wish our kids to grow up in? And so I think ideally we, we all are becoming more intentional in that next wave of what is the world that we want to create and that we want to live in and that is ultimately serving humans rather than exploiting humans and human behavior for that matter. There's definitely an intention on both sides. Businesses have to be more intentional. We as consumers are definitely more intentional. And I think you opened with this. We as consumers are more empowered than ever before. We have a stronger voice. We have uh, easier capabilities to move to a competitor. Like our decision-making and our power of our voice, the voice of the customer, is at an all-time apex. And as a result, we see businesses that are not aligned with that customer voice are losing money and going out of business. And the ones that are aligned with that voice are being much more successful and profitable. So that intention that we are talking about, you've got to be very specific about the intention your brand is aiming at, because we know that as consumers, our intention is, well, if I don't like it or I'm not happy, or if you're boring me or anything else, I'm out, I'm moving on. No, it's the the power lies with us. Um, in the past, I've often talked about the aspect of being prosumers, right? We're more more able to um, cast a vote in all of the interactions that we're in. And I think people are uh, making use of that more and more. Just before we wrap up, have you seen any research on the amount of vocal complaining that happens on social media? Oh, it, it, I think it happens um, in hidden spaces uh, a lot more. And I, I don't have an exact number, but it's, it's at least 50-50. I actually think it's higher. The complaining part is, is higher than the positive feedback part. And I look at my own behavior, right? Like positive feedback um, I give maybe in the moment, very seldomly then do I open and go to. But negative feedback that I got agitated about, I take the time to complain, particularly if no one else listened. Um, in in social spaces, and so I think we see we see that a lot. This is why we have so much negative sentiment. This is why some of these research studies and and anonymized solutions actually fuel negativity on the internet and some of the extremist behaviors that we that we see. Um, I think there's a there's a risk within that growing unless we bring more um, accountability. I would say to to the table in that regard. One more quick topic, since you talked about looking at our own behaviors in the innovation space and definitely uh, in businesses who are trying to solve these problems, it's amazing to me how often I say, look, you are a consumer. What would you do? Look at it from your own perspective. And so often we have businesses that they are not even necessarily customers of their own company and cannot quickly look at it from their own perspective as a consumer to help improve the products and services. Or if they are a customer, they have a specialty experience because they are an employer of the company. So they actually never really know what it feels like to be a consumer in the world of that product. So very much agree. I think that is what we see probably in the last five to 10 years, most company educating also their own employees much more in depth on is what does the customer experience look like? 
um, what might be the feelings that we're instilling across the customer journey. Go more out in the world and actually experience yourself in order to understand. And don't tell anyone you're working for this company when you do. So mystery shopping in that sense through own employees has been, has been rising in order to help understand the perspective of the consumer if you're more going in classical design thinking ways of way anticipating what the consumer might be um, acting upon or thinking or feeling in that moment. So it's I think it's a it's a big subject that helps to drive a better understanding for, for different components. For me, a huge learning that I, as a German, um, did not have as much is in particular subcultural context. For example, in the US, you have way more subcultures. I live in New York a lot more subcultures. So the experience of New York of a black person, a white person, or an Asian person might be extremely different. We all categorize them as New Yorkers, though. And so having that kind of understanding of how much your biases are actually influencing um, your co-creation perspectives is super, super important to move out of that heavy level of subjectivity or that consideration that you actually might know the answer, which most likely you won't. How can people get in touch with you? Um, I, you can find me, obviously, uh, on the tlggconsulting.com uh, website, on um, LinkedIn, and I'm also um, on X, is it called now, um, at uh, Roaming Star, and on LinkedIn, Katrin Zimmerman, uh, TLGG Consulting, easy to find. So looking forward to connections always um, in a multitude of fields and excited to um, exchange on opportunities and challenges that people might um, feel they have who are your listeners. Well, I'll be sure to have all of your links and profiles on our website as well so that people can find you there if they need to. Thank you so much. It's been a fabulous conversation. Thank you so much for Chris for having me. And of course, thanks to all of you who are listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform and leave a review. Your feedback helps us improve and grow. And if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for the show, you can connect with us throughout social media and online at Chris Hood Show. And please share this episode with your friends, family, colleagues, or anyone else looking to grow their business and start their own digital evolution. Until next week, take care and stay connected.